Hello, hello, and welcome back to Maple Flavored Murder. As usual, I'm your host, Joss. And I'm Becca. And as you can tell, I have lost my voice over the weekend, so Rebecca's going to be taking over most of this episode. Hello, hello, and welcome to your very first Becky-sode. It was very lame, but we're going to roll with it. (laughs) (laughs) So today we're going to be covering the case of Justin Bork. And this is actually something that happened like not very long ago in 2014, I believe. Mm-hmm. I don't have my notes right in front of me at this exact moment, which it was though, because I was in grade 11. I remember. Yeah, it was. Doesn't really like. Yeah, so that actually happened in our hometown. So we lived through this, and that's kind of why we wanted to cover it. But at the same time, we like debated not doing it because. We're from here, so for us, it was something that was very viral, I guess. It was very well known, and um, we're not sure how much it's been covered on a podcast, but because we've lived through it, and everyone around us knows what it is and what has happened, we were kind of debating on not doing it, but as we've had a few friends request it, we decided we may as well jump into this one. Yeah, and I mean, it's kind of like cool to be able to tell a case and like actually have like kind of our our own perspective because during this time I actually like lived in that neighborhood so it kind of like really hits close to home literally yeah and I remember the first night of it like we didn't know anything about what was going on all we knew was that there's this random guy like walking around with this like semi-automatic and obviously looked like a threat and I had rugby practice that night and I remember getting home and we literally just just saw it on the news when we got home and my mom was like oh my god like this guy could have literally walked out of the woods and shot you guys because we were not far from where it happened which like at that time was like super scary because we did not know a thing about what was going on yeah, it was definitely terrifying. The city went on entire lockdown and, like, everybody's, like, stay inside your homes. Yeah, I remember my dad literally sleeping with a hockey stick next to the bed. Like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> that, like... <laughs> Most Canadian thing ever. Yeah, really straight dad. up. Like, <laughs> really you want to <laughs> toss around the puck butt? <laughs> like, fuck. Oh. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, well... Without further ado, this is the case of Justin Bork and the Moncton shooting. Before we begin, we just want to take a quick minute to let you know that we are not experts in these cases. We are simply relaying the information that we've received through credible sources, as well as our personal opinions on the cases that we will so be discussing. So the shooting took place on June our 4th, 2014, in Moncton, New Brunswick. The perp was Justin Bork, and, and at the time of the shooting, he was 24 years old. The, the victims, there was five RCMP officers that were shot. There were three that unfortunately passed away and two that were severely injured. So the manhunt was launched overnight and actually went into the 5th of June. And he was only caught on the early morning of June 6th around 10 a- at 12, 10 a.m. So the manhunt actually went on for over 28 hours. Which is super long. That's actually crazy to have an active shooter for that long. I remember being like actually terrified. Like the city was on lockdown for like two days. And we didn't know what was happening, what was going on. Like, at the time, we didn't know who they were after, if they were after, like, pedestrians or... 
Yeah, it was literally everybody stay inside because somebody, like, could be after you or not. They didn't know, like, right away that if he was after, like, police officers or not. Um, but before we get into the exact play-by-play of what took place, we're going to go into, like, a little bit of, like, Justin's, like, like life. Early life kind of thing. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so, uh, Bork was one of seven children and his family was actually like really religious and he was also homeschooled. Um, so in eight, 18 months before the shooting took place, he moved out of his home, uh, with his parents into, uh, the Ryder trailer park in Moncton. So he had always lived with his parents until 18 months beforehand. Um, and what actually made him move out was the fact that he had an argument with his parents about the fact that he purchased his second firearm and was, and his inappropriate behavior. Like, there wasn't too much, like, mentioned about what the inappropriate behavior was, but, like, I personally would be kind of upset if my child was purchasing, like, like, growing his collection of firearms. Like, okay, one is understandable for recreational use if you're, like, you're into that sort of thing. But, like... Hunting. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, my, we come, I come from a family of hunters. Like, we have our... We have, we have guns, but it's, like, responsibly kept, like, stored away properly, like... Real quick, I have a question. I don't know if you saw this in your research, but did you know that if, like, he had his act, like, gun license? Like, was he... Is, were these guns legal? So I actually have a little bit of information in regards to the gun laws in New Brunswick and like his personal guns. So he purchased the 308 Norinco M305. I apologize if that's not how you say it. Um, <laughs> but he used that one in the shootings back in, uh, the one that was using in the shooting in 2014. Exactly. So that gun. He actually purchased that in 2009 legally. Okay. But, like, during the time of the shooting, his firearms license was expired. So it was technically illegal? Yeah. So, um, okay, so a firearms license means that the license holder can possess and use a firearm. The registration certificate identifies a firearm and links it to its owner, and you need this for restricted and prohibited firearms. So you don't always need to register your gun, but, like, say if you have one that's restricted or that's not, like, regular, like, you need to be able to link it to the owner because it's okay. it's not – they're more – not, like, they're more powerful weapons. Okay. Um, so usually if you're in possession of a firearm, you need a license even if you're not the owner and you never handle it. So, like, if I have my firearms license and say that we were hanging out together and I needed to, like, run out for a minute or whatever and I, like, left my firearm, even if it's cased and whatever and you're not even touching it, I can't leave it in your apartment because, like, you don't have a firearms license. So okay. you can't even have it in your apartment even if you're not even going to use it. You know what I mean? Okay, yeah. So, and to have um, the gun, you need to have the possession and acquisition license, and that is renewable every five years. So, at the time of the shooting, his was not renewed. It was, like, kind of due, but... It was expired. It was yeah. expired, yeah. Okay. So, that's kind of what that, that means. Um, so, and to actually have that license, all the applicants must first have passed the Canadian Firearms and Safety course. And, like, some of the points to be able to apply for this course, it's... Sadly, the abbreviation is the CFSC course. You need to be 12 of year, 12 years old and older. Um, but if you're under 12, you can take it for educational purposes, but you're not allowed to complete any exams. Okay. Between 12 and 17, you apply for a minor's license to borrow and use non-restricted guns. So, um, so the course entails the evolution of firearms, major parts, types, and actions. 
basic firearms safety practices, ammunition, operating firearms actions, safe handling and carrying procedures, firing techniques and procedures, care of non-registered firearms, safe storage, display, transportation, and handling of non-restricted firearms, responsibilities of the firearm owner and user. I just want to highlight that part. So after the in-class, there's a written and practical exam. So you're doing all this training in class. It's normally like a weekend long thing that you're yeah. like in class studying with other people. And then you're going to go through the exams to make sure that you understand what you've learned, right? Yeah. And there's also another class called the Canadian Restricted Firearm Safety Course for anyone who wants a restricted gun. So the first one is literally just for the basic guns. And to get a restricted firearm, you need to take another course. Okay, cool. Yeah. Which makes sense. I mean, especially if they're more like dangerous guns, right? Exactly. Exactly. So, non-restricted guns for the basic is any class that includes any rifle or shotgun that is not prohibited or restricted. <laughs> Lol. So, it's kind of like, you got to really look into it. There's a lot of details. If you want to find this, it's all actually available on the government website. I'm not going to bore you guys too much with all, like, the details. I just thought it'd be important to, like, understand, like, how he was able to have a gun, you know, what the laws are, um, and kind of, like, the general information. So, assuming there's, like, no psych evaluations to owning a gun either. Not really, no. You just got to pass these courses and show that you're, like, you know, a responsible gun owner. Which anybody can pretend to be. Exactly. So, back to the early life. So, Justin had recently quit his job at the grocery store and got hired at Rolly's Wholesale, known now it's Capital Food Service. So, it's basically, like, a food delivery company where they would deliver food to, like, restaurants, like, you know, candy, tobacco, convenience store stuff, all that, all that cool Cool, fun, exciting stuff, you know. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So um, a former co-worker said he had problems with authority, you know, parents, bosses, police, etc. He held an anti-government and anti-authority view. He had a fascination with conspiracy theories and talked about killing other people and himself. Which is a lot. Also, can I add in real quick? When he was working, he had in the past worked at Superstore. And I actually ended up working with him. That was my first, like, real job. And I literally worked with him for a, for the time that I was there. That's like 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 <sighs> creepy. I, I I can't even find the words. Like this is so creepy and eerie. Like I knew who he was. Didn't really talk to him more than that. But woo. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's stressful. I'm stressed for you. And this was years ago. <laughs> So, two days before the shooting, Bork actually made rants against all figures of authority to his father, during which he was described as becoming paranoid. One of Burks described an incident as well where they went camping with, like, a bunch of coworkers. He brought his rifle with him, but there was no ammunition. There's no... It's fine. There's no ammunition. All right, we're good. Okay. He brought his <laughs> rifle, which he held onto the entire night while drinking, and he's like... And they're like like to quote you know they kind of freaked us out so we didn't invite him next time well, end yeah. quote yeah like same same like, <laughs> oh, I, can, I can feel that i like can't even imagine so it remains unclear if anyone reported safety concerns related to bork's firearm possession but local police stated that he, he wasn't known to them at all like all these super weird things we're never reported. No, like, I mean, like, I can kind of get it. Like, if it's not, if it's different people having these experiences, when you all put it together, it kind of makes sense. But when it's, like, one person had, like, this weird thing, you kind of brush it off. You're like, that's fucking weird. But, you know, let's keep going with my day. Like, Yeah. <laughs> I got bigger fish to fry. You know what I mean? It's like. And even at that, like, 
some people just have these fascinations with different things where, like, it's going to constantly come up in their lives, right? Right. Like, I think conspiracy theories are cool. Like, lizard people, you know? Like, yeah, aliens, you know? Like, I need my tinfoil hat. Like, I totally get it. But yeah. it's not something that, like, if someone came up to me and was talking to me about this stuff, well, they're carrying around an empty rifle with nothing on it. Like, that, would, that would stress me out, which I wonder I if mean, they actually reported that. But, I mean, I guess it's in police say they didn't get any reports. Like, But even at that, like, if I know it's empty, maybe but like, were they, it But around. were they camping? I mean, I mean, they clearly were camping because they said they were camping. But, like, were they hunting? Or, like, was it just a bonfire? Like, I kind of want more context, but there was no more context. And either way, it's kind of weird, but... Well, you never know. Maybe this was his blankie. I just like, like context. I still sleep with my blankie. Maybe he's just, like paranoid like his father said so you know so yeah good point good point paranoid <laughs> oh my jesus okay <laughs> i love that paranoid okay so actually i want to take a brief moment to say that like in canada if you are concerned about the mental state or intentions of somebody who owns a firearm you can actually notify the canadian firearms program so police can investigate we're gonna like link this information down below um but just to say like their information they're open monday to friday nine to five nationwide 1-800-731-4000 and we'll link that in the description bias should you need that exactly because that's super important to do so don't brush it off it's better safe than sorry right like at least there'd be like a report if anything you know and it's saving either that person's life or other people you never know what could yeah. happen right we just think that people should be responsible gun owners in this in this country. Guns are not to kill people. They are to hunt food. Yes. So now we have to get to the grim part, and this is the shooting. So on June 4th, 2014, Justin Brick and his friend went to purchase ammunition. Since they planned on going to the shooting range later that day, he didn't think anything of it, you know. Justin personally bought three boxes himself. This was around 6 p.m., which, like, foreshadowing now is actually so, like, chilling to think about. But, I mean, at the time, if you're already planning to go in their shooting range, you wouldn't really think anything of it, right? Literally. But fast forward, it is 7.18 p.m., and the first 911 call was made about an armed man walking down Pioneer Road into the woods. So just a quick note, the Evergreen subdivision is kind of like where this occurred. It started in the trailer park, which is, but these subdivisions, it's like a lot of like twisty windy roads with like a couple main ones. And then it's like, there's backyards, like there'll be like little tree borders, kind of like little mini patches of forest to make it look like more like private. Yeah. So it's like a lot of these backyards will have like little patches of trees. Like, I mean, there's like a school and stuff. So it's like... The back of the trailer park was, like, a big patch of trees. And then if you walk through it, it, it led into the Evergreen subdivision. So where he walked in, he walked right through the trailer park into the woods and then was hiding out there going towards the Evergreen subdivision. So just kind of, like, to give you a mental idea of what's going on. Um, but so at 9.23 p.m., the officer had responded to the radio call. Twelve officers responded to the scene and set up a perimeter around the woods and the neighborhood. And at 7.45, Constable Mathieu Dagle spotted Bork leaving the forest. Leaving the forest, this would be in the Evergreen subdivision, and crossing the street, running into another patch of trees. The, and then that patch of trees actually bordered the backyards of several houses. So at this point... 
Constable Fabrice Gévaudin and Rob Nickerson tailed Burke while he was headed towards the house on Broomfield Court, where another five officers were positioned. So Constable Fabrice Gévaudin stayed at the back of the house while his partner ran around front. So he was like kind of watching the perimeter of the backwoods uh, where they had seen um, Justin run into. So Bork, who was actually laying in that backwooded area behind the houses, took aim and opened fire at 7.46 p.m. Gévaudin radioed in, he's shooting at me, he's shooting at me. The first three shots missed, and he fled, but Bork re-aimed and hit him twice in the torso from about 30 meters away. His body was found a few minutes later, and officers dragged him into the garage and started CPR, but Constable Fabrice Gévaudin had, um, had died almost instantly. Bork then fled to the woods, and it emerged by McCoy Street, and then walked right down Mailhot Avenue. Could you imagine that? He's just walking straight down the street, like nothing. Like... I can't, man. It's absolutely, like, I literally have chills right now. Like, this story, like, actually, like, makes me so sad. Because, like, these officers, like, did not do anything. Like, and I'm thinking, like, the person who made that 911 call who did it. Because, you know, obviously you see something that looks like a threat to the public. Mm -hmm. You need to call that in. But, like, Jesus Christ, can you imagine the grief after that? I couldn't imagine, like, literally, literally calling officers into their death. Like, I wouldn't, like... You and and nothing against her. Like it's like she literally did everything right. It's just such a shame that like this actually happened because it's such a horrible tragedy. I would not have been able to deal with it. And like props to this lady. Like yeah, you know. Oh my gosh. So at this point, Constable David Ross was driving his SUV down the road when he spotted Bork and accelerated towards him on Mailhot Avenue. So he's like going accelerated towards him and he shot twice through his windshield. Um, but he missed. Meanwhile, Justin had turned around and shot six times back at him. He was shot twice in the hand and left shoulder, and the fatal shot hitting him directly in the head. So from the reports that I read, he was actually speeding up to get closer to him because his pistol did not have the range to be able to shoot him from that far away. So he had to get closer to try to get a shot at him, but in the end, like, he had to shoot through his windshield, like, in action, which, like, him being in a vehicle and then Justin being stable and not moving, he had so much more of an advantage. And it's still, um, yeah, fun fact, not really fun, but our, actually one of our childhood friends who her stepdad is in the, um, RCMP. Her mom is the one who told Constable Ross's wife, his very pregnant wife at the time, that her husband, Constable Ross, had died in this tragedy. That I, that's a, uh, I couldn't, I couldn't even imagine, like, having to tell somebody that, like, even, like, let alone being shocked by it myself and having to, like, articulate that to somebody else, especially somebody that's, like, so close to them, like. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, both of those officers were shot and killed within two minutes from each other. It happened that fast. Which is ridiculous. It's insane. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So right after that happened, Borg was walking down Mailhot when a civilian was just about to lock her door when he approached and said, 
Don't worry, I'm not here to kill civilians, only government officials. Like, I don't think that would make me feel any safer. I'm a haul ass back into my house, sir. Like, what? And lock every single entrance into my house. Straight up. I don't care who you're after. You are standing literally right there with semi-automatics. You look threatening. Bye-bye. Terrifying. Also, my one question was, like, I'm not judging her because, like, I don't even know what was going on. Like, maybe she was, like, outside on her front porch and then somebody was like, yo, Sharon, why are you on your fucking front porch? Like, there's an active shooter. You know what I mean? Like, but, like, she's, like, she was about to lock her door. So, like, why are you outside locking your door? Like, so, like, I wonder, like, I feel like maybe she was just, like, chilling on her front deck, enjoying, like, the summer's night when all this happened. But at the same time, you have to think, like, yeah, okay, the city was on lockdown when this happened. Yeah. But you still, like... I still what had if you to don't, go what to if work. you don't watch radio or and TV? I still had to go into work, and I worked in the North End at the time. Yeah, people were like, trying to. People were literally getting like their businesses shut down and like shuttled home. And if you like, it was you actually the insane. Perimeter. Yeah, no, like you couldn't. Like vehicles were being stopped. Like if, you, yeah. But I mean, regardless, like if you have to leave your house for whatever reason, you know, you you'd at least give it a try. You know, calling sick better than calling in dead. Let's be honest. Okay, here. you got a good point on that one. Like. <laughs> <laughs> it's the one time calling in dead is valid. Um, <laughs> the, um, okay, I was like, this is not funny. Okay. okay. So at 7.54 p.m., Constable Martin Benoit arrived at the intersection of Mailhot and Hildegard. Um, so a, a civilian was actually guiding her. He was following Bork and reporting the location via 911. Could you imagine? Like, like Chuck Norris out here is just vibing, running through the backyard, chasing an active shooter, like with his phone and being like, just calling it in, like a true hero. Like, I sir. literally feel this lady's vibe because I am the type of person who, if I'm driving and I see someone or like a car that looks suspicious, I will literally write the license plate down. Should I need to report it at one point? I get it. Like, oh my gosh, it's actually like, like insane. I couldn't even imagine. Like, I'd be like, I'm gonna lock my doors and I'm gonna stay inside. But this guy's like, no, I gotta help. Like, that's gonna like, pull this, you know, right weirdo around. On like a side note about that whole reporting thing. There was actually, like, widespread, I remember, like, over social media, police were literally, like, stop posting on social media what the police are doing because Justin was actually using Facebook and social media to track what the police were doing to make sure that he was, like, staying in hiding and staying away. Yeah. So, like, everybody was, like, stop posting on Facebook. And then they kind of, like, let it so it was a little bit less, like, revealed what their movements were, but it was, like, super dangerous. That, and I remember they were telling people to leave their porch lights on so it would give them, especially at night, because they... Some light. This was a 24-hour surge, right? Yeah, yeah, I actually have some notes here. It went on from... One minute. It went on from... It started on the 4th at, like, 7... Yeah, 7, 18 p.m. on June 4th until 12, 10 a.m. on June 6th. Like, so that was, like, through the night, June 12th, and back, then, like, back right in the morning at June, like, 10th. So basically, like, I guess, like, if you hadn't gone to bed yet, like, I probably wouldn't have. It would have been, like, tonight on June 15th, June 5th, but technically June 6th a.m. You know what I mean? Yeah. You feel me? But this is, like, and That's insane. That's so long. 28 hours. Yeah. Like, you No sleep, no break. Those police officers were out there, like, working and trying to, like, I couldn't even imagine. 28 hours. No break, no cigarette break, no sandwiches, no coffee, no donuts. 
you know, nothing. I'm literally, I can't even go work if I've had like four hours of sleep because I'm no good. Like I'll talk to you sideways. Bro, like I struggle to even work three hours of a regular shift with an adequate amount of sleep and caffeine in my body. Like absolutely insane. So Burke was hiding in a deeply shaded wooded ditch. So it's kind of like, it sounds super funny to say, but it's one of those like weird patches of trees. So Hildegard is actually like a main road and there's like the, the side streets. So Mailhot would be like one of the roads that like kind of intersected Hildegard. But on the side of Hildegard, it was like kind of like a thicker patch of trees, but it was like a ditch and it kind of like filled it. So you don't really see into it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just feel like a visual is necessary because, like, it sounds weird when I just say, he's hiding in a wooded ditch. Well, you know what? Like, anybody knows my ex. I mean, my ex used to live on that exact street. So, I mean, it's that's where it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So, he was hiding in that little wooded ditch. And um, he opened fire on her, disabling her vehicle. Constable Eric Dubois responded to assist and was also wounded trying to give Benoit cover. Book fled across Hildegard and left, du- and left. Dubois was able to escape to the fire station that was nearby, though. Like, thank God that's there. Mm-hmm. So at 7.59, Constable Marie Gauguin, driving on Hildegard um, in her police car, she was shot twice but managed to escape with help from other officers, but Dubois and Gauguin survived injuries. And that's the one that had the... Um like, there's a recording of this on YouTube somewhere where you literally hear her over, like, the police radio saying, he shot me in the head. He shot me in the head. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's it's actually, like, it's so eerie. It's, like, I highly recommend you guys going to watch the um, the Moncton Shooting Under Fire documentary because they actually have all of the 911 calls there. And they have, like, some actual video from... Um, civilians during like witnesses yeah exactly witnesses of the crime and like you actually like see like live action it's a really good and informative documentary it's really enjoyed it while researching this case really liked it um well done gives you a nice break from reading articles (laughs) it does i I actually love documentaries i'll like play them and like just like listen and chill bedtime things you know yeah you know normal bedtime things watch a serial killer documentary before i go to sleep what else would you do on a friday night right right (laughs) okay or am I saying this? So, also, I don't know if I mentioned this, but, um... Trial? Um, Constable Martin Benoit was actually fine in the end. She was unaware that she was safe, so she remained inside of her vehicle for a period of time and got picked up by another officer. Um... That shit must be so goddamn scary. I literally... I don't blame her. Like, I literally would have been, like, curled up in a ball at the bottom of my vehicle. Like, I put myself in the trunk, man. Goodbye. Like, through this. Yeah. <laughs> My God. I was going to find you there. Right. So, um, everybody survived those injuries. Those three officers were okay. Um, and at this time, communication became like really confusing. Uh, there wasn't like details were varying. You know what I mean? Everybody was like, he's here. He's not like nobody really knew where he was because everything happened so fast, right? He's he at was on the moon. point A, went right down, all the way down Mail Hall at Hildegard. Like, there was there was no really tracking what was going on at this point. And, like, he did not stop moving unless he was no. hiding. Exactly. He, like, he quoted himself that he lived like a snake. Like, during the man hike. Snake. Right? You know what snakes do? They bite people. They bite people and they leave venom behind. Okay, guys? And that's really bad because snakes can kill people. I see the analogy now. I do. They hide and they kill. Trial. Yeah. All right. Well, that's fun. I, li- I actually do like snakes, though. 
Okay. It is 8.04 p.m. Trial. Constable Douglas Larsh. I'm so sorry if I butchered that name. Um, but he was unmarked, so he was in kind of like civilian black. clothing. Yeah. yeah, he was in his like kind of just clothing, and then he was armed with a shotgun. But I, I, I believe he was still wearing like his uh, like bulletproof things, like yeah, underneath the thing. some stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it was like he wasn't wearing the police logo. Um, he was armed with a shotgun, and he responded to the call on Mail Hot Avenue. Burke at this point had stepped into the trees again and behind the house without being detected by Larsh. While still being like, concealed by the small patch of trees, he fired four shots, wounding him. And Larsh returned fire with seven shots from his pistol, but he was fatally shot in the neck, um, trying to take cover at his car. Witnesses said that while walking by, Justin just kind of walked over, like looked down at him, stopped for a second, and then looked up and kept walking. Trial. Said, like nothing. Like so cold. Like, the entire thing lasted, like, 70 seconds. Gross. And he fled the scene Trial. at 8.13 p.m. Despicable. It's horrible. Despicable me. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, these jokes are horrible. <laughs> yeah. So, according to witnesses, Bork was spotted and even spoke to several civilians like while lying in wait. And he left without shooting them. He literally waved away civilians that were trying to help the officers, and he, like, didn't attack them. He was just like, get the fuck out of here! Like, yeah, exactly. Like, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Bad jokes. So, um, first, like, literally from the first officer until the last officer, it was an entire, like, 20 minutes. Like, that's actually horrible. Like, that's, that is such a small, short period of time. I, I actually can't even, like, I, I can't even imagine being, had the mentality to, like, harm somebody and to let alone, like, three people with, like, 20 minutes. Let me put, bring in some, like, fancy words in here. I don't even work out for 20 minutes. Bro, I can't even fathom. Okay, like, that's how much I can't even understand it. Just let me Google that real quick and then I'll have a <laughs> Oh my god. Just, just beep, beep, beep. I think I used that in the right context. Trial. I'm honestly not going to Google it, so I won't even judge you. We'll just say that that's okay. I'll believe you on this one. If not, well, we're making it a thing, baby. Trial. Yes. <laughs> I hate myself for using that as a joke, and then it's just, like, in my vocabulary, and I say it all the time. Trial. Kind of like how you say little titty all the time. Like, all the time. But Are like you 17? Yes, I am 17, okay? What's on a scale of 1 to 10, bitch. <laughs> What's on that camera okay. movie? Just kidding. <laughs> anyway. Okay, so, manhunt. Um, the Bork was identified after family, friends, and neighbors, like, saw his photo. The first call was from a neighbor who recognized Justin from 13, which was his number at the trailer park that he rented. Um, it was his trailer park number, however you say that. I think... His trailer number. His, it's like his house number. Exactly. Trial. I think I said it reversed like twice in a row, but you know, you, you got, you got my gist. Okay. So. What you're putting down. Exactly. Um, when they arrived, his door was unlocked, his wallet and keys were on the table, and his gun cabinet was empty. Um, another call was from his father, who, um, to, posit- to positively ID him. He called Trial. in and like, to quote, Oh, I'm the father of the gunman. He didn't go to work tonight, and he was Trial. upset. 
He was upset about the police. You know, he's having a hard time. He's got anger issues. My wife is crying and she's upset. I remember hearing about that. I'm like, Bonnie told me this, like the walking serial killer encyclopedia. She knows everything about true crime. She's the only one told me about that. And like, Holy shit, imagine being his parents and, like... Right. They were, like, from a religious background. Bro. Like, his family was, like... It's, like, blindsided you, you know what I mean? Like, Bro. totally like, against what you're trying to teach your right. kids is moral. You're calling the cops on your kid because he killed cops. Like, how fuck more fucked up can that get? I could imagine your wife is crying. Like, my God. Like, how, I, I don't even know how... I don't... I think I would be crying making that phone call. Bro, I would be crying for you. Yeah. Like, fuck. Oh, my gosh. So... When those were made, hundreds of officers were deployed to Moncton, armored armored vehicles, helicopters, tactical teams, etc. The area was on lockdown, schools, businesses, etc. There was no so- social media broadcasting police location, as mentioned earlier. Bro, our rugby semi, or actually the finals, were pushed back because of this, like, everything. It was, like, serious stuff, yeah. Everything. If you were out where, congratulations, you got some time off. I remember, like, we actually, like, school was closed. And yeah. it's kind of like, yeah, school is closed. And we're like, actually, like, that's not cool. Like, I would matter. rather be at school right now. Like, and it didn't even matter if you were. Not that I'd rather be at school, but like, you well, know, I, this is not, I don't want this to be happening. Yeah. You know? and it like, it's even, not like snow day. And it's it horrible. didn't even matter if you were all the way out in Dieppe and it wasn't nowhere near you. There was nothing. Yeah. Like, I mean, you didn't know what was going on. Like, you could have hopped in a car and, like, snuck traffic. out. Well, I mean, traffic was stopped, like, locked down. But you know what I mean? Like, it was no, like, everybody was taking as much precaution as well, they could. Shit, like, the highway's right there. He could have easily went through the woods and escaped that perimeter and... Exactly. They, they really drive. Drive. They did not know at all, right? They had no, not really any eyes on him at this point. So he actually prepared for a stakeout. He brought food, rations, everything else, but he forgot water. Dumbass. Oh my god. And wasn't he caught like you're seen drinking from some lady's hose? That's literally how he was caught. He was, they, they, they spotted his heat signature from like an aerial helicopter when he went to drink out of a garden hose from somebody's house. Like, can you imagine, like, how'd you get caught, man? Oh, I, I got thirsty. That's actually what he said. Literally, when they asked him if there's anything that he would change, he's like, well, I would have brought some water. Like, you're... What? Like, are you... Like, you're clearly not okay. Like, I mean, that's not even a question. But I like, think that's, like, the dumbest... Like, I'm happy you got caught. But if... Not that I would do this, but I mean, if I were to do this, if I were crazy enough, I mean, I don't think I'd be dumb enough. That's like you're getting put in timeout for, like, hitting another kid, and then your mom's like, you know, did you learn anything from this? Yeah, I'll punch him harder next time. Like, what? No. Like, that doesn't... Like, cool, you're in timeout again. Like... You know what I mean? Uh, like, you're not accomplishing anything here. Stop just, talking. It's, uh, stupid. It's yeah. horrible. Like, I can't even, like, that's the mentality that you have. Like, I should have brought water. Like, I love that. Do you not feel zero remorse? But I love that that's literally, it made, it probably made things a lot easier. For them to convict him. He had no remorse. He didn't feel it. You don't need this clear quote. He like, does not feel bad. Like. Uh, I find it just hilarious how that's how he got caught. <laughs> So he was surrounded and captured, and when he was captured, he literally did not even put up a fight. And he was quoted, reportedly said, "I'm done," and he was unarmed. Just, I'm done. Like, try. Okay, this isn't a game. Are you sure? Like, cool. Like, what? He was taken into custody around twelve ten a.m. June sixth. So the weapons were found at the scene afterwards, or a. I'm going to butcher, butcher all of these names, but if you guys want to put this into Google, you can probably get some more information because, you know, an M305-308 rifle and a Mossberg 512-gauge shotgun 
There's a gas mask, binoculars, two knives, and a survival harness. What the hell would you need a gas mask? I don't. Maybe they Maybe he was expecting them to like smoke him out of the woods, but like. Your water is more important than a gas mask, sir. And let me just put this out there. If you are in, like, you're outside and they're throwing tear gas at you, you can fucking bolt it. You're fine. He was, like, but he was really, like, kind of, like, into the army stuff is what I seen. Like, the whole, like, tactical survival stuff. If you've seen his whole get-out, like, if you Google pictures of him, like, he was in full-out, like, camo. Like, he was looking aggressive. Like, he was ready. Like, he was going in as, like, full-out Rambo. Like, Trial. absolutely insane. Insert Rambo theme song here. Yeah. I don't, I've never seen Rambo, but like. I'm, I'm thinking of like that Travis Scott song. Is it Travis Scott? I don't know. Well, whatever. Insert this song here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so his rifle was actually legally bought at Better Buy Sports. Where the fuck is that? Like, I live here and I don't even know where that is. Is that probably on Mountain Road, eh? I think it's like by like. Trial. What the fuck? The place where I think it is, like, I think it's not even there. No, that's the Gulf Town place. I, I actually have no oh, idea. Oh, yeah, I think yeah. maybe it was there. I don't know. Trial. Some place that I've never gone to, and maybe they felt so bad they shut down. Well. <laughs> Next. Yeah, end quote, Becca. Like, yeah, I feel like <laughs> every Karen everywhere. You should feel so bad you shut down. Um, <laughs> that's my two cents hope. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, after explaining... So, this is an interview time. After explaining the details of the shooting and hideout, he just mentioned that he had... Just kind of had his guns laying around. The officer asked him how he was thinking, and Justin responded with this. Well, honestly, I know this is going to sound really messed up, but I actually felt pretty accomplished. I know we probably think that's really sick, but... um, you know, it's just when you see what's happened through the centuries and you know, you just compare what happened here, you know, it's just uh, it's sad they have wife might have had wife and kids, but every soldier has a wife and kids, right? And it's all about whose side you chose. And uh, they chose the wrong one. Like he's literally comparing himself to a soldier. Like, literally, when it, like, it just, it's, it's totally irrelevant. Totally irrelevant. And it actually is just horrible to, like, I just, like, watching the whole interview was just horrible, like, chill, because he's so nonchalant the entire time. Like, he's so calm, and it's just, like, it's almost like, like, it's not, it's not a regular Friday night, sir. Like, it's horrible. Um, but on that note, we are going to link the full interview if you want to watch it. There's also going to be the, um, the interview transcripts that are available on that link as well if you're interested in watching the whole thing because he actually does like explain his entire experience with the shooting everything as well um that is like kind of the end where he asks him like you know like why you know how you're feeling you know um but yeah so he was sentenced to three counts of first degree murder and two counts of attempted murder so that means he gets three consecutive life sentences of 25 years, and it's 75 years before he can be eligible for parole. Which, like, hell yeah. Right? Like, you're going to be locked up for life, sir. Rotten prison. He'll be 99 years old. Right? Before he can even be eligible. That's not even confirmed. Like, you can apply and get denied, sir. Like, I want to give the judge who ruled on this a crisp high five. 
right? He's, He's going to be all like Beyonce, Beyonce like, to the left, to the left, with that application. <laughs> okay, so... Um, Aside from that, like, everything that did happen, I want to say that's 100% Justin Bork's fault. Like, he's the one that sought this out. It's first-degree murder. Like, it was premeditated. Like, the officers did absolutely, like, nothing wrong that day to have this happen. You know what I mean? 100%. And I just made the, the, the fucking choice to do it. Exactly. 100% him. Um, and on that note, since we've cleared that up, I just want to talk a little bit about, like, the RCMP side of this. Um, because, I mean, I couldn't imagine being working that day. You're on your regular, like, 9 to 5 or, like, I know they do shift work, but whatever. You're, you're at your work. All of a sudden, they're like, yeah, cool. There is actually, like, an active shooter, and you need to go respond to this right now to protect the public. Like, could you imagine? And then you show up, and surprise, he's actually after you. It's literally a game of cats and mouses, and you're the target. Like, he's hunting you. Like, could you imagine? Like, oh my god, god. I, wouldn't I wouldn't be able to try. Nope, I would quit. Mm-mm. Horrible. And like, there was. This isn't even like this is the first time this type of tragedy has happened in Moncton. But in Canada, there's once more that this happened, and that would be like in 2005. There was the Marathorpe tragedy, which basically um, these officers are going. Uh, we're going just to start was to repossess a vehicle and everything like escalated. We're going to kick. We're going to cover this case at some other point because it's super detailed. But um, at the end of the day, these officers ended up getting ambushed in this like hut, Quonset hut type shed thing. And um, four officers were actually sh- uh, shot and killed by um, by this man. And he had rifles, and they did not have aqua- adequate adequate ad- adequate adequate adequate. I don't even know what I'm. I can't English. Adequate um, training. Adequate training or weapons to be able to defend themselves against him. Um, and he was actually murdered, like shot in the end, and killed by other officers that were nearby as well. So, like overall, an absolute huge tragedy. And this actually called for them to make an inquiry um into this situation because of like how crazy it was so this independent review they came out with a 64 points that they needed to improve on 64 points that's quite a bit that's a lot like like could you imagine your safety inspector coming into like a restaurant i'm not eating anywhere that has a 64 per- 64 point review necessary to improve on improvements <laughs> hashtag retweet right so like just imagine put that in a different perspective like that's crazy um and one of them that was that all officers should be equipped with a uh, carbine rifle in canada due to its long range and accuracy so just to put this in perspective their pistol um is only good for up to 25 meters away their shotgun is up for 20 meters away and a carbon rifle can go up to 100 meters away so if you think about that in the justin bork case the officer that had to accelerate towards him to actually take aim he only had that pistol so he was only able to reach up to 25 meters away so it's no wonder that he had to get closer so if he would have had that that carbine rifle he would not have had to do that and it could have saved his life yep he may still be with us today it's true and I've just seen this quote from one of the officers from a training program on the Under Fire video. Super good. I recommend watching that documentary again, but, you know, great. Um, he said that having no proper equipment for police officers is like sending a firefighter to fight a fire with a water gun. Well, you're not going to get very far with that. 
exactly. It's it's it's, it's, it's such a good analogy. It makes like it's, it's true. true. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And especially with in light of with everything going on, we're we're you know advocating for police to get more training. This is something that would be great for our RCMP to have in their training. Especially right now, or if they want it, they have to pay for it out of pocket. Yeah, like the carbine weapons are something that they all are pretty much having to do. Like they all have oh. now, or they're supposed to have now, um, especially in light of the incident that occurred in 2014. Um, but yeah, they're indoor training. So it's called immediate action and rapid deployment oh. training. So this is kind of like training that's used for like school shootings. So it just basically means that like when you need to react quickly and have the police force go and take action quickly and spread quickly to be able to cover as much ground as possible, as fast as possible. Trial. In my less complicated version. <laughs> yeah. Um, so kind of like if you guys have ever watched the show Flashpoint, where they're literally like a tactical response unit. Yeah, like where they're going like in the hallways and they're kind of like, you look left, like watch that window, you do that. Like that's literally exactly like, what it is. Bang, 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 you're in. And you've covered the ground as quickly as possible. And, like, the indoor um, one is probably the only one that RCMP officers will see outside of their regular training. And the outdoor one is not something that's given. So exactly what they were responding to in Justin Bork's case, the outdoor um, active shooter was not something that was covered. So imagine you're going into your job and it's your first day doing your new job. And, like, you're responsible for such, like, that's such big stakes. I know when I was at my first day of my job, I had that training badge on for months because I didn't know what I was doing. You know what I mean? You're going to make mistakes. And it's just, like, I couldn't imagine how overwhelmed they must have felt, like, you're not properly trained for this scenario, but you were thrown into it anyway. Exactly. And during the time of the shooting, only 59% of the Kodiak Detachment in Moncton had this type of training. At least it's more than half. It's, At least it's, that's a positive. It's true. But the people that did have it had to pay for it out of their pocket. It wasn't something that was given to them. Like, you're you're sending people out there totally unequipped for the job that they're supposed to be doing. And that's, like, a total safety violation. I can't, like, oh, I don't know. I can't say that that is for them. But for me, like, I feel like that's a personal safety violation. I'm going into my own workplace and I don't feel safe because I'm not equipped for what I need to deal with. Like, I don't like that. I wouldn't want to be put in that situation. As well, like, you have to think, like, at that point... This wasn't something that happened in it's true. our area. It's so true. It would only, I mean, it only takes once. Exactly. And I mean, it's just kind of like, there's definitely so much pressure put on our police force. It's, it's a lot for them to deal with. I couldn't imagine doing that job. Like, they do a wonderful job. They definitely do. They do a wonderful, wonderful job. I mean, I, we've all had our bad experiences with them. They've given you a speeding ticket, which, like, yeah, that sucks. But at the end of the day... If something shitty is happening, you're going to want them there to help you. So true. And after this incident, they said that they would uh, they would work to revamp the training and look at making it mandatory. That's not even 100% yes, mandatory. We're going to look at it. Like, mm-mm. So officers filed complaints, but there was, like, no changes that were ever made. So, like we said earlier, a lot of the officers have just turned to private agencies to pay for their own training to make sure that they're equipped and ready. Which, like, good on them because yeah. this good. It's so important. Oh, yeah. Especially and if you want to make sure you come home to your family every night. Exactly, yeah. And as of right now, the course for to be in the RCMP is actually like a, only, like, a 26-week program. And you actually go to Regina, Saskatchewan, I believe it is, to complete this program. Yep. 
Um, but that that's all. Any other additional training is is on you to purchase and, and make sure that you have yeah. it yourself. Because after your whole training, you're you're assigned as a police uh, a peace officer. You're given like general duties, but anything that's like specific that you want to be in a new apartment, it's kind of like departments based on like you know ten year experience, all that jazz. But like twenty six weeks, you're good to go. That's I mean that's of course after passing like all these like requirements and testing. Oh, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, yeah. I just feel like that that's not a lot. Well, trial. I feel like at the moment they're doing the best with what they have. Definitely. I mean, you but can only is, do so much, right? There is there's definitely 100% room for improvement. There's always room for improvement everywhere, right? Exactly. Any anywheres in your life or there's always room for improvement. But. Exactly. So, that was the case of the Moncton shooting. And a little bit of extra information in case you're wondering. I'm sorry. I love extra information. It's like my, my jam. But it is super good information to have in regards to, um, especially this specific case, some of the uh, the gun information and with the police, etc. Very good. And um, it goes perfectly with this case. Thank you so much for covering this one. I literally, I wouldn't have been able to do it. I have no voice. But... Um, yeah. yeah. So, so thank, thank you, you so, so much, much for tuning in. We super, super appreciate it as usual. We would yeah. also super appreciate it if you shared this episode with your friends and family and left us a five-star review on iTunes so that we can continue releasing episodes every week for you guys. Five. Five star. Not one, not two, not three, not four. We're still working on the quality of our episodes here. Please and thanks. So bear with us. We are doing our very, very best. We have the ghost again today, um, which we're looking into getting rid of soon. So hopefully in the near future, our episodes will sound a lot better and I will have my voice back. <laughs> so thank you so much and we'll see you next time. Bye.